0: Dr. Stan Steindl. Welcome to Compassion in a T-shirt, where today I'll be in session with Christy Arben. Christy and I first met in about 2014 when she co-facilitated what was my first experience of mindful self-compassion with Dr. Kristen Neff and Dr. Chris Germer. She has worked extensively in mindful self-compassion being a certified teacher and administrator of the center for msc and she has many other strings to her bow not least developing over recent years her somatic self-compassion program which has been evaluated in a recent study published earlier this year she is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom about all things self-compassion and so i do hope you enjoy being in session with my friend Christy Arben. Well, (laughs) welcome, Christy Arben, to Compassion in a T-shirt in session. Uh, And it really is delightful to to catch you again. I I was just we were just saying that, that it's it's been six or seven years since we first Kind of met. You were very busy at the time, though, because you were you were actually um, helping with facilitating the the mindful yeah. self compassion um, course that I was on, along with Chris Germer and Kristen Neff. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, gee, that was. I mean, that really was a, a, a turning point for me. That experience, yeah. so, and uh, I think you've talked about this too. That there, there just there was just that for me as well just drawn towards uh that that experience and and then of course um yeah very very emotional and meaningful and powerful and and really i i i am ever grateful to to you as as well as chris and Kristen as well just for that experience It, it certainly changed my life as it does for for so many others and and um you know since then i've kind of Watched a bit with awe with all that you're doing and and um, you know you you have involvement in in so many things heartworks of course is, yes. is your um, you know training and, and kind of program delivery business I, I guess and and then still the center for mindful self compassion I think you're still kind of really closely involved there and then there's this this other new project around somatic self compassion as well and and you published your paper earlier this year which was really great to see all of all of that come out but yeah i wondered if we could just start so so tell us a bit about all of that or or tell us a little bit about about you and your story
1: so well maybe i'll go back a little bit so my um i've been a a mindfulness and a meditation practitioner for quite a long time about three decades i Mm -hmm. guess um and have been involved in sort of the buddhist community um both here in australia so i'm i'm sort of in australia and the us i uh, you know it's a big it's a long commute but <laughs> my my family's here in australia my husband and his family are in the us so i'm, I'm in australia at the moment mm. um, have been interested in a spiritual path and a contemplative path my whole life, basically, for as long as I can remember, have been interested in those things. And um, when I did one of those um, job suitability tests in high school, um, it came out as uh, you should either be a nun or a social worker. (laughs) which is sort of a neat combination, and it's actually <laughs> sort, of right. what ended, <laughs> sort of what I've ended up, ended up doing. Yeah. I studied psychology and social work at university mm. and fitness leadership as well, just throw in something a bit different. Oh. Um, but yeah, through a bunch of different jobs and experiences have ended up teaching mindfulness and, and mm. self-compassion. Um, and I'll say I, I teach self-compassion because I see that as a necessary precursor to compassion for others. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we can't be compassionate to ourselves, we don't know what it looks like when we're wanting to offer it to others. So I don't explicitly teach about compassion because for me, if you have self-compassion, you are automatically going to be able to relate to other people, to understand the common humanity, Mm. to understand stress and to normalize stress. So um, it's going to automatically happen. Uh, And that's just my perspective. I know that's not everyone's perspective, but that's Mm. where I I come from. I was the center manager at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies in Massachusetts. And this is where I met Chris Germer and uh, became passionate about mindful self-compassion and yes had a very emotional experience in my first mindful self-compassion course Um, had this experience that we talk about in mindful self-compassion of backdraft Mm. so this big experience of all these emotions coming up which were around oh my goodness I have never been compassionate towards myself I've never given myself this level of kindness and acceptance and love and just that realization it brought up feelings of um, anger (laughs) this is an you would think this is unusual to feel anger in a self-compassion course but I was angry I was confused at the anger I guess because the anger is not really a a uh, socially sanctioned emotion. So I was confused, like, why am I feeling anger? That's not right, I shouldn't be feeling anger. So confusion over that. And then this massive wave of uh, sadness and regret over having missed a lifetime's worth of self-compassion, basically, because I'd started to feel what it was like to give myself self-compassion. So that sort of opened up, and I think this is a lot of people's experiences, big emotional experience this is how i could be relating to myself and this is how i've not been relating to myself Mm. and so that sort of precipitated a number of events Um, i started working with chris and kristen and uh, helped them to start up the center for mindful self-compassion in the us and then from there so that was back in 2012 it's nearly 10 years ago from there that organization has just grown mindful self compassion has become quite a well known program so um yeah from 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 a seed that's it's growing into a massive tree now a global tree which is is pretty exciting so i was quite involved in that as an administrator and as a teacher and a, a little bit as a teacher trainer and a consultation host and there's a little part in mindful self-compassion where we talk about the fight and flight response and the release of cortisol and oxytocin, so the Mm -hmm. neurochemicals involved. And we do a little bit of self-soothing in mindful self-compassion in the first session. And I was really interested to expand on those. And so this is where somatic self-compassion came from. Thank you so much for, for mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to, the two things that I was really, well, two of the things I was really interested in exploring were what is the mechanism of stress and what are the neurochemicals that go with that? And how can self-soothing help with that? And that all led me to learning more about uh, trauma and uh, the stress response, and the you know fight, flight, freeze, faint—you know all those different things that we do in a trauma, in a trauma response. So I learned a lot about that. I learned about how tricky it is to get in contact with our internal landscape when we have trauma in our story, and learned about interoception, which is our ability to feel our internal landscape. And how to gradually develop that skill so that's part of what's in the somatic self-compassion program how we can soothe through all of our senses through seeing hearing smelling tasting touching through our um, vestibular sense through balance through proprioception our sense of our body in space and through interoception and so we can we can yeah, soothe through all of these senses, and so that's a big part of somatic self compassion as well. As you said, there was a, a just recently paper we we finally had our paper published. I think in about February this year. Um, your paper is cited. You might have seen that your paper is cited in in my paper. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. We were, I was really interested. Yeah. I was really interested in the motivation to practice self-compassion, yes, which is what, what you folks were looking at. So mm. we did look at motivation to practice self-compassion, um, what mm. helps with that, basically. We didn't find a lot of stuff there, but we asked the question anyway, mm. motivation mm. to practice self-compassion. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that sort of brings me here. I guess the one piece I would add is um, along the way I've gotten quite involved in uh, trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive mm. mindfulness. Wow. Um, I've learned a lot about that and I've been teaching that to contemplative teachers and therapists um, sort of more recently. And somatic self-compassion is explicitly a trauma-informed approach. So that's that's a big part of what I do is, is a, a trauma-informed work. Yeah.
0: It, I mean, it's just fascinating to listen to that. That whole process. And, and the thing that I really uh, sort of strikes me and I, and I admire in all of that is just the, the kind of experiential discovery of it all. You know, that, that actually it's, it's through living your life and, and opening yourself up to experiences that you have mm-hmm. these powerful insights into sort of, well, different elements. Of yourself and and then you know curiosity kind of arises out of that and then you kind of experience the next bit and and it's it's just been a a really um yeah such a such a sort of powerful journey through through all of these these different things and and um it's really interesting what you mentioned with the mindful self-compassion first of all the, the the emotional sort of outpouring that, that happens there. And, and, um, and you know, you, you mentioned anger and isn't it interesting that, that anger uh, might come up in a self-compassion uh, sort of context. And um, it, it's funny because I was reflecting that for me, it, it wasn't so much anger because I'm generally speaking okay with anger. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that, that can come up with me. For me, it was, it was absolutely the sadness and uh that the grief really and, and um and and so yeah can you can you speak a little bit more there you know like what what, what do you notice about sort of backdraft and and people's experience there when they first touch on self-compassion and, and the different emotional kind of experiences i'm just really interested yeah. to hear a bit more about that piece
1: yeah wow that's it's a great question and it's a huge topic as i i guess guess you know what come a couple of things come to mind um and this may or may not be true but there there's a there's a gendered um as society says that different emotions are okay for different genders Mm. basically so this may or may not be be right, but um, as a man, um, anger is pretty, it's pretty acceptable. You know, you are totally allowed to express anger. As a woman, uh, or a person who identifies as a woman, um, it's not as socially acceptable. So I'm just wondering if that was part of the difference for the two of us. Mm. I have been very unaccustomed to expressing anger. I've been very accustomed to repressing emotions or feeling feeling a lot of sadness anger is a very unfamiliar emotion for me and I know it is for a lot of people who identify as as women mm. um, so that's just one of the thoughts I mean what what do you think of that yeah
0: I, I think I think there's a lot in that I mean for me I'm not sure that anger was I, I think it is more acceptable for men and at the same time I think it has gotten me into strife over the years as well. So the expression of anger, uh, hasn't been always healthily done. You could say, you know, I remember, I remember as a little person, you know, sort of primary school or, you know, that, that sometimes the, the anger would be the thing that, you know, I, I'd get in trouble for, or, or it would, um, uh, sort of cause some sort of damage or something. And, and, um, so I, it, it, it was sort of this interesting mix of, of kind of being sort of very connected to it and, and able to express it, but also, you know, getting me in, in trouble. Sadness, on the other hand, much more a feeling of vulnerability and, and really over the years just wouldn't go there, you know. And, and, and I think that was one of the life-changing elements of the MSC program was just to get a little bit more in touch with, more vulnerable, more gentle kind of sadness, because sadness Mm -hmm. before might certainly have been there, but it was behind anger. You know, that that, was- Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm just sort of uh, thinking out loud in all of that, but that's the kind of thing I think happened for me, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting to hear that. And I hope you don't mind me sort of mirroring that with my experience growing Mm. up, was I felt a lot of sadness. And uh, I think I probably cried a lot, but I felt very weak in the process. Didn't really mind feeling vulnerable, just didn't want to be seen to be weak or uh, to feel the shame around expressing emotion. Never even considered that I could express anger. Mm -hmm. So you talk about it getting you in trouble, I never had the opportunity because I I never could express it and Mm. I didn't know a a skillful way to do it and there was no modeling for it. Mm. Um, So yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's so interesting to hear that you had anger, but Mm. you felt that there were repercussions of expressing that. Mm. I felt sadness and I felt there were repercussions of expressing that. And then we each got to feel the other one when we were adults and we felt a bit more resourced to sort of yeah. allow, to feel to to feel vulnerable so my vulnerability allows me to feel anger and your vulnerability allows you to feel sadness and I, yeah. you know this is just you and me talking so i'm not yeah. saying this is a general trait no. but it's just really interesting to, to hear that
0: there's many kind of ways in and and, and sort of things that might yeah. arise out of um, something like yeah. self-compassion and, and you you mentioned also another critical piece for me at least too was at what you sort of and, and you mentioned that it is, is sort of shame and, and the role of, yeah. of shame yeah. actually in anger and the role of anger in shame and the way that those two kind of bounce a little bit off each other for me and then I'm sure sadness is in that mix as well so yes it is it's very interesting to to disentangle all of that and i I do agree self-compassion kind of creates an opportunity to 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 do a bit of disentangling and and kind of approachfulness towards the different emotions
1: yeah there's a there's a practice in mindful self-compassion um called something like meeting unmet needs Mm. and it's so it, we, you know, we, we find, we, we, we acknowledge the anger. And then just as you're saying, we find the sadness or the grief or the, the soft emotion underneath the anger. And then from there, we go to what, what's the unmet need and what's the negative core belief. So, you know, we're, we're, we're diving down into all those levels. Mm. So a little tweak that I did, and once again, I think this was, it was, Based on my gendered experience of being really in touch with that soft emotion, basically, wow. it was harder for me to find that hard emotion, but I could find the soft emotion. So I did a little um, variation of that practice, and I, and I, I I actually you know I, I've been uh, uh, teaching that a, a little bit. I haven't done it so much lately, but it was really about empowering ourselves to find the hard emotion to protect that soft emotion. I remember an experience I had in a hotel room, walked in on by a male employee, hotel employee. Mm -hmm. It, um, It actually can be trauma triggering. So it sort of was, so I was feeling these soft emotions and I decided how might I express in the safety of my hotel room the hard emotions that I would need to feel empowered um, in this situation. So he had left, it wasn't something I did with with the employee, but I practiced channeling those soft emotions into anger. So I had to practice feeling anger. So, um, and I think I just did it with some physical gestures, maybe some jumping up and down, some fists, uh, something like this. And that felt like the best self-compassion practice in the moment because I, I i felt vulnerable and you know my you know to, to use some parts language my inner child or my inner children felt very unsafe and they needed the empowered angry part of me to say that was not okay and to validate that that felt like an unsafe situation that was now over but there were some emotions there was some like fighting emotions that that felt really useful so yeah it's just as i said a tweak on that finding soft emotions under hard emotions we could also channel some hard emotions to feel some empowerment and uh, this might be part of what kristen neff talks about when she's talking about fierce self compassion mm-hmm. Um, I've only read a little bit of that material, but I was channelling some fierce self-compassion in that particular practice.
0: Yeah, certainly compassion and self-compassion can be kind of textured with different emotions, can't it? It it might be a very soft, gentle, soothing kind of process or or it might be about righteous anger or something like that. So so it's actually interesting to be... To really practice that agility, or something, <laughs> to to sort of move about the emotional parts, um, and and almost sort of bring them in, you know, in in ways that are that are that are still really helpful.
1: Uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's been a movement in the mindful self-compassion community for um, some of the teachers who identify as men to be teaching other people who identify as men, to to, to teach them or to validate that self-compassion can be this fierce protective um, sort of force. Um, So almost trying to help those those folks who identify as men to feel that it's okay. Self-compassion is not gonna make you weak. It's not gonna make you vulnerable. It's not gonna make you a doormat. What it can do is help you to get in touch with your own emotions to validate those to take care of those so you're not projecting them onto somebody else. And so that you can feel that righteous anger and you can stand up for other people, you can protect others through being in touch with these emotions yourself there's this protective aspect of self compassion so yeah there's been this movement to help. Uh, folks who identify as men uh, feel okay with the concept of self-compassion and to know that it's not going to make them weak Mm. and then on the other side this movement um, by uh, teachers who identify as women speaking to others who identify as women saying it is okay to feel anger it channeled in the right way in a skillful way dealt with in a safe space or dealt with in a way that doesn't turn into rage. So, you know, anger and rage, rage is that uncontrollable um, emotion, Mm -hmm. destructive emotion. And this is just my understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Rage can be quite uh, uncontrollable and destructive. Anger gives me information that a boundary has been crossed. And I have the chance to make a decision with anger. I can choose how to process anger pretty hard to consciously process rage. It just tends to go out of control. So mm. anyway, there's this move, and we mentioned Chris Krista Neff mm. um, around validating, um, for those of us who identify as women, it's okay to feel anger, and in fact, it's important. And you gotta protect yourself, basically. Like, look at all the stuff that's happening in the world you've got to be able to stand up for yourself and self-compassion is really important that you've got to value yourself enough to stand up for yourself, to protect yourself. And if you can protect yourself, you can protect others as well. So it's sort of all, you know, this whole thing of this is not just for us, this is for all of the people we're in relationship with.
0: I I feel like those who might identify with men, somehow we've got to get them connected to their sadness as well and and you know find because it's such a a powerful force often those who are very angry scratch the surface a little bit and and there is the sadness and 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 sort of finding ways to to work with that with with perhaps those who who identify with men seems seems sort of crucial as well.
1: And we're talking here about intergenerational wounds and intergenerational trauma and systems of oppression in our culture and i'm not just saying you know systems of oppression affect women they affect men like they mm. affect us all so the systems of oppression we have say um men shouldn't get in touch with their sadness mm. and they say women shouldn't complain and this is a you know a really generalization everything i says A lot of what i say is a generalization but in general this is what a system of oppression is is doing and so self-compassion helps with both of those how do you safely get in touch with that sadness Mm -hmm. and i totally get that that would feel like a really alien concept if from a very young age and i i hear heartbreaking stories of Mm -hmm. little boys being told to don't be a sissy like, you know, act your age, don't cry, that's weak. Um, you know, don't get in touch with your emotions. If this happens when you're five, oh my goodness, like that's decades worth of sadness that you have not known how to process. And so I totally get that you wouldn't want to do that when you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. Of course, you've mm. had all of that conditioning based on this sort of oppressive system. And then the same for those who identify as women. If you were told from a really young age, um, that, um, it was not feminine to express anger and you would be rejected if you expressed anger, if you, if as a three, if maybe not three, three, three three-year-olds are pretty, they're pretty good at expressing anger, I think as a five-year-old or a seven-year-old, you were shamed for expressing anger you know, once again, that's decades worth of repressing anger that then, you know, you, you, you're getting in touch with. And with self-compassion, you could do that safe. The word safely keeps coming to mind. How do I get in touch with sadness safely? How do I get in touch with anger
0: safely? Yes, there's often those shame memories, isn't there, associated with the particular emotion. For for me, the shame memories are around you know sadness or being weak or uh, you know all that the sort of derogatory names boys get called you know if, if they seem that way and, and for others the shame memories might be about anger and, and feeling shamed for that and so then we start to approach these emotions and the shame memories come up and they they're, they're like trauma memories in a way aren't they the relational traumas and and so then we and, and then we've got the, the backdraft or, or the, the fears, blocks and resistances. And, and so then sometimes people are just like, uh, I think I'll give it a miss, I guess. And so we're working hard to to bring everybody in.
1: It's not one program or one movement that's going to help um, us to get in touch with sadness and anger. This is going to take generations. I think what's going to happen is over the generations, um we're going to become more comfortable with these things it's going to take a while because they're pretty entrenched and systems of oppression are pretty entrenched because um we all understand it and to some degree we feel safe knowing what our place is Mm. in a system of of oppression so even if we're oppressed to some extent at least we know what our role is so it's going to take some changing of roles and we've seen a lot of this in the, the u.s the you know the me too movement the the pussy hats yeah. so these things are happening these movements are happening and I a self-compassion movement has got to be happening and um I see a lot a lot more fierce self-compassion happening um women feeling empowered and standing up for themselves I guess I'm more in touch with that community I don't know so much about what's happening in the the uh, community identifies men, but I know there's definitely efforts um, in that area to make to help, basically help men help men befriend their emotions.
0: The MSC stuff, it, it it really has grown exponentially. It's it's quite heartening, isn't it? Really to to think just how many people now have kind of done that some of that work, and and uh, you know that the, it, it's really spreading when you mentioned that before it reminded me of the Paul Kelly song you know um, from little things big things grow and um, you know self-compassion I think really is you know like that it's 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 growing you also mentioned the somatic stuff and and so this is a, a bit new for me like to to hear some of this I mean I'm I'm obviously I'm aware of things like the the fight flight freeze appease or whatever stuff and 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 so on but yeah, could could you sort of capture a, a little bit for us the the this notion of of somatic, you know, and and somatic self compassion? What what's how would you kind of define some of that or or sort of elaborate there?
1: And I must admit, part of the reason I use the word somatic self compassion is because that word's a little bit trendy right now. So you know, there's somatic experiencing, there's somatic stress release. There, there's there's a lot of sort of somatic stuff around and i could have called it embodied self-compassion but then mindful self-compassion is also quite embodied so that seemed a little bit confusing so i thought so soma specifically relates to the body so that's why I, i the word somatic seemed to to fit with that so um the main Pieces of somatic self compassion, and this is what came up in the study that we, we did that was published, was that we can use, um, we can learn how to more safely get in touch with our internal experience. So, this is a very somatic experience, our inter- internal experience getting in touch with our internal experience or this um, developing our interoceptive awareness, our capacity for interoception is a learned skill and it may take a long time for us to learn to safely get in touch with our internal experience. But we talk about that in somatic self-compassion. So this is what interoception is and this is why it's tricky. To develop interoceptive awareness, and it's a lot to do with trauma. So, as you, I, I know you know, um, in a traumatic experience, um, often our emotions are overwhelming, and so our system has this really neat safety valve where it says, "Okay, if your emotions, if, if your emotions or your physical experience are more than you have resources to handle, then." you have the capacity to dissociate basically. Mm. And I know dissociation gets a bad rap, but that is a that is ultimately intelligent response to an overwhelming situation is to just leave, just check out basically. Mm. So this is why a lot of us have trouble with interoception because it's about checking in again. You were talking about men or people who identify as men uh, not wanting to get in touch with um, sadness. Mm but some of us have been checked out from our body for a long time. And so learning to check back in again needs to be done in a trauma-informed way. That's really, really important. And what that means, so for me and in the Somatic Self-Compassion Program, getting in touch with our internal experience um, in a trauma-informed way involves a huge amount of choice and not just saying you have a choice, listing all of the choices that you might have so uh, something that i might do in that program is um, i invite people to be aware of their environment expanded sensation so this is their seeing and their hearing and i invite people to notice that like how is it how is it to anchor your awareness in seeing or hearing And then I invite folks in closer to their body, as long as it feels okay. I say that a lot, as long as it feels okay. No, you have a choice. I invite invite folks to check in with body centered sensations on the external part of their body. So touch, uh, temperature, um, even some sensations that are below the skin, like um, uh, pressure where, where you're sitting or leaning against your chair, I invite folks to notice how that feels and I keep reminding them you can go back and anchor your awareness in sound or sight if that feels safer for you. And then the next level is internal awareness so interoception noticing how the inside of your belly feels or the inside of your ribs or you know any part of your internal experience. And once again reminding folks you can always go back to body centered sensations external to your body or environment expanded sensations. So this is how we gradually learn interoception, so I mentioned uh, choice Um, so folks have a choice to do all of those things, they also have a choice with posture, so you can sit. You can stand, you can lay down, you can move, you can pace, I think I'm one of the few meditation teachers that says you can pace, while you meditate and. Ultimate choice is you could just stop doing this it's completely okay no one says, you have to do this go and pat the dog go and make a cup of tea. So just just huge just buckets of choice basically is is really important that's how we safely develop. greater interoceptive awareness and we can soothe ourselves through any of these body signal uh, uh, body signals as well so soothing might be okay it's a bit challenging to be with my internal experience what I might do is um, rub my hands together instead feeling a warmth of my hands so I'm aware of an external part of my body i'm still with my body but i'm with an external part of my body and i'm moving Um, trauma is really it's about where we can't move if we can tell our body you can move you can choose how to move that sends a system a signal to our nervous system you know you're not in a traumatic situation right now so that might be how we soothe ourselves if um, we're still feeling anxious or you know we're having we're feeling triggered We can move out to environment expanded sensations. So we might look at something that is pleasant and that can be soothing as well. At The moment I have uh, uh, Rosella's sitting on a bird feeder outside my window. So I could look at those, focus my awareness out there as a way to soothe. That's sort of a big part of what somatic self-compassion is, learning to safely get in touch with our internal experience having choice and learning how to soothe through all of these different um, sensations. We're not, often um, touch is the main sensation that we learn, um, uh, we soothe ourselves through in self-compassion, But in, and, and it's true that touch can evoke oxytocin in our system. It's that tend and befriend chemical, but it doesn't work for everybody. And sometimes we need to, especially in a trauma-informed environment, we just need to get away from move our awareness away from our body, so touch is not the thing we're seeing is the thing that's going to soothe us.
0: Now that really that really helps actually. That that was a a, a good nutshell and and um, the, the the three pieces there. The first piece, um, sort of checking in, um, becoming more in touch with the body, and and that it's a learned skill. Uh, that that really stood out to me. That it's a learned skill. I was actually at pilates this morning and i know it's this might be a naive point to make in in terms of what the work you're doing is but um you know sort of the 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 teacher there was having to constantly correct me and you know i sort of realized that i i i wasn't really in touch with my body in that sense you know I, i i was having trouble really being aware even of how it was positioned in space sort of thing and, and kind of shifting it about. And, and, you know, that, so I, I, I really just today, even especially, I really get that idea of it being a kind of a learned skill.
1: Yeah. I love that you say that. And, and um, I don't think you need to use the word naive at yeah. all. Like your experience is very common. Mm. Um So this was a big part of what I wanted to address in somatic self-compassion because I had the experience sort of similar to yours of going to um, a meditation group and having the meditation instructor say, uh, just get in touch with your internal experience and assuming that everybody knew how to do that. And the reality is, um, and there's a statistic I read from the Strozy Institute for Leadership, which is a, an American um, embodied leadership um, organization. And they said about 80% of the people who come and do their programs are not in touch with their body, are not in touch with their internal experience. And I've got a feeling we could probably extrapolate to the, the general public that probably 80% of us like your experience we don't really know what an instructor how to follow an instructor's uh, invitations around getting in touch with our body or knowing how to move our body in a particular way or knowing uh, understanding posture like all of these all of these actually fall under the um, the definition or they come under the the spectrum of a um, interoceptive awareness so there's a whole bunch of you know, things that you look for around, do I have low interoceptive awareness or high interoceptive awareness? And I I don't really love these kinds of spectrums and these kinds of tests, so I don't tend to use them, but things like um, not being able to translate a a fitness instructor's um, instructions into our body experience suggests you know that that's a part of our experience where we have low interoceptive awareness Mm. there might be other parts we have higher interoceptive awareness but yeah that's sort of a textbook sort of a case and uh, a lot of people have that experience they don't know what it means when their yoga instructor says rotate your right hips so that your right foot is at a 90 degree angle. Like they just can't work out what that means. Mm. It's a very common experience. Mm. So yeah, this learned skill. um, There's one course that I teach, which is around teaching people gradually to get in touch with their internal experience. And it's actually, I, I, um, I, I adapted a curriculum, it's called the interoception curriculum by Kelly Mahler and she's an, an occupational therapist in the US, so she puts out this curriculum it's designed for children, but I adapted it for adults and it's designed for children in a clinical population children with autism or who have. You know, problems with reading their body signals and things like that, but I mean that's all of us <laughs> we're just children who grew with with those children who grew into adults mm. so i uh, i adapted it for the um for an adult non-clinical population and i i let people know this is really just an introduction to developing intero- interoceptive awareness it's an 18 week course Like how many 18-week courses do you know that are called an introduction to something? So I I let people know this is going to be a years-long process Mm. of learning how to get in touch with your body because of this whole dissociation thing that many of us have done. Even if we don't call it dissociation, we call it checking out or just whatever else, whatever non-clinical term we're more comfortable with. But as I said, it's an intelligent response from our body. Mm. So, yeah, that learning to do it. We, we we really do need to learn how to how to do it the reason it takes a while is because our nervous system is saying this is not safe this is not safe this is not safe this is not safe hmm. and those warnings are going to be louder than anything else so hmm. we want to do it very gradually in a way that can feel as safe as possible basically and,
0: and, and this is the choice piece isn't it you know in, in some way yeah you know that, that there's there's so much flexibility there, and options, and and kind of yeah. you know take a couple of steps that way, and then sort of just back away a little bit if need be, and and that that kind yeah. of being able to move about in this experience in a way that really helps to create a sense of safeness and and you know graduated kind of experience, and and um, it, opting out completely for a while if one wants to, all of that choice is just yeah so. Useful in in terms of safeness. If I understand,
1: if I understand down to my bones that I have a choice, like that's massive. I think very few of us, even as adults, believe we have a choice. Like we just feel like we're forced into doing so many things. Once again, it's it's culture, it's oppression, it's old stories that tell us, you know, what roles we have to fill. There are like a million ways we feel we don't have choice. So starting to introduce choice is massive. And then the movement piece, you know, one of the um, trauma responses is freeze. It's a big It's a big trauma response is the freeze, not being able to move. So moving our body tells us um, you are not in a trauma response. I think I mentioned this before. And when we move, we get little shots of um, endorphin in our system. So, in, you know, endorphin is a, is, a, uh, is other natural opiates, pain relieving neurochemicals that we feel, um, they come into play best um, during things like childbirth, you know, massive pain, childbirth, breaking a limb, we feel endorphins there. Um, we can feel endorphins a little bit when we move. And this is a big part of what I consider is a, a, a self-compassion practice is in encouraging endorphins into our system. It's a great response to cortisol. So we feel, a lot of us feel a lot of cortisol, moving in response to that is a, 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 in the Somatic Self-Compassion Program is a, one of the, the best things we can do. So just standing up from your seat, just that act. It's empowering, it tells me I can stand and it moves endorphins into my system. So it seems very simple, but it's, ve- it's very effective. And I've got choice, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then isn't it interesting because we we might sort of that there, there might, it might begin with the cortisol. We might bring in um, the endorphins with the movement, and and you know, but but then the third phase is, is the soothing and and sort of I guess the bringing it all sort of back down again sort of thing or something like that. The, the strategies, again, physically or, you know, with touch or movement or using, bringing online the other senses and so on. But then that's the, that's the kind of the soothing piece that, that, that comes after that.
1: We can, oxytocin is, you know, it's the best known mm. neurochemical for soothing. So I think, as I mentioned, that's the tendon befriend neurochemical. Mm. It's the one that tells us we can trust the environment that we're in Mm. and um, what i've learned it's not just about being with people we could be with animals we could be in nature some of us especially those of us who are introverted um, we actually trust our animal friends and the natural environment we might trust them more than we trust a lot of people so oxytocin in my understanding it's not just about feeling safe and soothed with people um, we can, and we can definitely soothe ourselves. Um, so we encourage oxytocin by being with people or animals that we feel safe with. And we can also encourage it, encourage it through uh, soothing touch and gentle vocalizations. So the soothing touch explains the you know, hand on the heart or the self hug or the holding your own hand or even rubbing your hands together hand on the, on the cheek these are all soothing touches they're also possible trauma triggers so this is where choice is really important like what if you know this might not be soothing for some people especially if it's related to a, a memory mm. a trauma memory um, so um, gentle vocalizations is another way we feel oxytocin so that might be um, the voice of somebody else we trust it could be our own voice, we can talk to ourselves, and this is where say uh, loving kindness for ourself comes in it's where kind self talk comes in. I can find the caring part of me to speak kindly to the, the sad or the wounded part of me and that can be very therapeutic very soothing. But gentle vocalizations can also be my favorite music, or it could be uh, nature sounds. We could also be soothed, like oxytocin is one of our well-being neurochemicals, serotonin and dopamine are the other two. So we could be soothed by realizing that we're important in the group, that's serotonin, that we're special, that we're valued. We could also be soothed by feeling rewarded by, and um, food gives us a reward. So um, yeah, it's not just oxytocin that can soothe us, but these other. Uh, you know, dopamine and serotonin can do that as well. We talk about all of this in somatic self-compassion and uh, learn learn which one we might gravitate to. So, am I an oxytocin person? Am I a serotonin person? Am I a dopamine person? And where do I get these things from in my environment? Is it music? Is it my dog? Is it my grandma? Is it riding my bike? You know, where do I where do I get this stuff? So, lots and lots of choice around. How we can soothe ourselves. It's also
0: it, it, it's also beautifully individualized, isn't it? You know, the the, the first stuff around um, self-awareness and interception and and um, you know that that's very individualized in terms of one's own skill and where we're at. And and then the choice is very much about yeah, personal choice and respecting that and 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 offering options, options. Uh, and then the soothing too, you know, what what's going to suit and, and, you know, really drawing on the person's own wisdom a bit about that and, and, and being able to, to kind of meet, meet them at each step along the way where they're at.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, this is huge, isn't it? Uh, self-compassion is not one size fits all. We all have different ways of doing it. And one of the ways that I do that in somatic self-compassion back to sort of the the motivation piece, which is what you folks were were exploring, Mm -hmm. we spend a a goodly amount of time in that program exploring our individual values um, and our strengths and then working out what our, our goals are and how we might kindly motivate ourselves so this is like a big piece of the start of it and the reason i did this was because of your work basically like so thank you (laughs) it was awesome it was awesome yeah Yeah. so we spent four weeks in a 15-week program just just cultivating motivation to practice self-compassion so then you know once i understand what are my values and strengths my goals and my motivations i'm in a much better position to make those choices about how do i self soothe you mm-hmm. know where if i know what i value then i know where i might look to to get my sources of soothing so if i value nature that's that's where i might go for soothing if i value community that's where i might go for for soothing so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely tailor made and and mm-hmm. you know inviting folks to be very conscious about where these things are coming from they're not just things we pluck from the air they come from our own personality Mm.
0: Well, uh, you've you've got a a lot of amazing stuff there, and and stuff that you're offering, you know, others in the world, and and it's it's fascinating. Uh, I'll absolutely connect uh, in, include sort of some links to this stuff in in the description, and and to your paper maybe, but also to your uh, your contacts. In fact, um, if people were wanting to kind of get in touch with you or, or to engage with, with you and your work? How might they be able to do that most easily?
1: Yeah, well, I guess my website is probably the best place to go, christyarbon.com. They can sign up for a newsletter there. Um, I'm in a, a year-long program at the moment, so it might be a bit tricky to join that one part way through, but I will have a lot of offerings coming up. Everything's been online, uh, but, I, you know, things are starting to open up. So there'll be some in-person stuff as well. And there were things that were canceled because of coronavirus. So I had some neat stuff set up for um, uh, Sydney um, in Australia uh, before coronavirus came along. So hopefully that'll, that'll be up and running again. And then Singapore, Bhutan, um, and the US, yeah, you can come to Bhutan for 10 days and study self-compassion with me and learn about the culture of Bhutan. So hopefully next year we'll be doing that one again. I've done that oh. twice. It's an amazing experience. So, yes. yeah. yeah. Highly I, recommend. I have
0: actually been to Bhutan. Lovely. Uh, yeah. yes, I, I didn't do anything quite as fantastic as that. I, I, I just did a trip around. But what a, what a venue for, for that sort of work. It's a
1: great place for self-compassion. There's a, mm. I remember reading an American woman who went to live in Bhutan and she said, it is really easy to be kind to myself in Bhutan mm. because it's such a gentle culture. And this, I'm generalizing here, but the experience often is it's a very gentle yeah. culture and you're invited to be authentic, basically. So yeah, great backdrop for self-compassion practice.
0: I, I, I just wanted to ask you one last thing. And, and um, uh, yeah, I, I'd just like to see if I can get three tips from people that, that, that come on to Compassion in a T-shirt. Three, three tips that I guess you might offer others who are making their way on, on this, this journey of compassion or self-compassion. So
1: yeah, any, any thoughts there? Find a supportive community. And keep trying. <laughs> if you if you feel like the community that you're in or the one you've you've found is not supportive, just keep looking. Just like you wouldn't you wouldn't stay with the first therapist you found. You know you'd, you'd find a therapist that worked for you. Find a community that works for you. There's so many communities online these days. So find one that resonates with you. With you that feels nourishing. Validate your emotions. Our emotions don't lie. They don't. They don't don't make stuff up our, our emotions are giving us information no such thing as a wrong or a maladaptive emotion it is all information I would say thirdly slow down we're all going too fast all of us all of us we're all going too fast you'll find you'll slow down and then you'll realize, oh my goodness, I need to slow down more. And you'll do that, and you, oh my goodness, I need to slow down more. You don't even realize how fast you're going until you start to slow down. And you, you may never get to the place where you say this is slow enough. So yeah. always, there's always room to slow down. That's what Beautiful. I'm saying.
0: Excellent. Find a supportive community <laughs> and keep looking. Um, our emotions don't lie. They are sources of important information and slow down and then maybe slow down again. <laughs> so that's really great, Chris. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate you um, coming and having a chat today. It's it's, it's so wonderful to, to hear the stuff that you're doing and to get get a chance to spend so much lovely time with you today. So thank you very much.
1: You're welcome, Stan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for all the great work that you're doing. I've loved chatting with you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah,
0: really good. Thank you. <laughs> Take
1: care. All right.